This week's episode of The Obsessive Viewer is sponsored by Westworld FM, the latest podcast from the Midwest Podcast Network. Westworld FM seeks to dissect the latest episode of HBO's Westworld TV series every week. Join Alex and Nick as they take a deep dive into the latest TV show from producers Jonathan Nolan and J.J. Abrams. New episodes of the podcast are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and more the day after the TV show airs. Check out the show at westworld.fm or search for Westworld FM on your favorite podcasting service. And thank you to Westworld FM and the Midwest Podcast Network for sponsoring this week's episode. This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can like us on Facebook uh, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And uh, yeah, today on the podcast, Tiny and I are going to be discussing a few or a couple like random picks from our Netflix queues, which you heard about last week in our Starbase Indie panel. Um, but before we do that, I have some housekeeping and a couple of little pieces of news to, to kind of go over here. Um, first of all, uh, a couple weeks ago on the podcast, Tiny, uh, we put the call out to see if people wanted us to drop the sensor beeps that have been um, part of the podcast since the beginning for some weird reason. <laughs> yep. Yep. And we got some good feedback. That call was fucking answered. Right? See? Oh, we're, we're, <laughs> we're swearing now. We're, we're like we're growing from kids to yeah. fucking obnoxious teenagers, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Eventually, we'll become adults. But yeah. But yeah, so so we heard you guys, the sensor beeps, they're done. Um, that's going to help me with editing a little bit, because I had to put each one of those in individually. Um, Sorry, most of them were me. Yeah, you know, it's funny, because like, it's after 150, however many episodes, uh, 50, uh, 195 episodes, um, we, like, I think we've we've gotten into a rhythm where it's like we... Like, I don't know, with me, and this is a tangent, and this doesn't need to last that long, but... Um, I don't really feel the need to like use vulgarity, not because it's like anything that offends me or anything. I don't, I don't care. Um, but I've kind of grown accustomed to working around it over the last three years. So Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Um, if going you, forward, if you use it too much, it you, it loses its luster. It it really does. And that yeah. was one of my big reasons for, I guess, keeping around the sensor beeps. I don't know. Um, kind of a peek behind the curtain. We, like we did it because friends of ours was doing were doing it on their podcast, but they were also on like AM radio, <laughs> right, right. Um, and we kind of thought like, okay, well maybe we can get in into like what what they were doing, but I mean they were political podcasts were movie and TV, so right. Um, that never came to be, and then we just kind of kept them, and I don't know. But now we're now we're done. We're done with the censor beeps. So, Word. Yeah. So let's go into some news. Um news yeah so uh real quick uh rogue one ticket pre-sales they went on sale a couple weeks ago um the monday after thanksgiving i believe so yeah a couple weeks ago uh-huh. and uh tickets uh hundreds hundreds of thousands of tickets were sold within minutes that's insane it 
is insane and it really made me wonder why they waited so long to announce the ticket sales because it was like the sale date was announced like i mean the week the thanksgiving weekend and they went on sale that night that sunday night so i don't know it's weird kind of weird and uh our friend fecus got a whole group together to to get tickets so so i got my ticket you're not going to be partaking in that this year i'm not because of work Gotcha. I, I prefer to have a day off the next day if I'm going to stay up till 2 a.m. or mm-hmm. whatever. So couldn't do that this year. Yeah, yeah. that's totally understandable. And uh, <laughs> fortunately, I started my job in May. So I, I have, I still have, like my PTO kicked in after 90 days. And so I had a full year's worth of PTO, worth of PTO about seven months into the year. So I, I'm taking the day off afterwards. So not bad. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be interesting. And we will be reviewing it on the podcast. Um, the week after when are you going to be able to see it like that weekend do you think i am yeah it's nice. incidentally uh, i have that the monday the 19th off it comes out on the nice. 16th uh, i have the 19th off so i'm going to like get tickets for like a matinee and go see it mm-hmm. with not a bunch of people there it'll be kind of nice nice yeah very nice and i know that imax screenings like um 70 millimeter imax screenings um we talked about this off the air but we don't need to stay on it that long um but 70 millimeter IMAX screening. So if you're in Indianapolis, the Indiana State Museum essentially is your only chance for this. Um, they're going to be screening, I think it's seven minutes of uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk before it. Um, are cool. you going to spring for that or just go to a regular theater? I'm going to, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. I, I, I'll try. I mean, if I can get the tickets for that, I'll definitely do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that they have like a signed or like reserved seating there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let it, let, you know, let us know. We'll, we'll cover that. Cool. Um, and then finally, uh, the last piece of news for this week is that the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 trailer hit. It's like a, they call it a teaser, but it's two minutes and some odd seconds. So yeah. I think it's mostly teaser just because it doesn't give away any plot or anything. Yeah. Um, so what did you think of this trailer, Tiny, or this teaser? Uh, it was really encouraging. It, first of all, it looks gorgeous. It really does. I mean, like, as soon as I started playing it on my phone, and like 15 seconds in, I paused it and then streamed it to the Apple TV so I could watch it on our new 4K television. Right. Holy crap, it's gorgeous. It's just beautiful. <laughs> um, and secondly, it looks like, to me, I think one of the most important things they could do is maintain the, the comedy of the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, don't lose sight of that because I think it's one of the best things about the movie. Absolutely. And just the two-minute trailer was really funny. Mm-hmm. So I hope they – it looks like they're going to maintain that. So it's, it was encouraging. Oh yeah, uh, Drax at the end. Yeah, like that. It's such it's such a silly thing. It, it's it's incredibly silly and and absurdist to an extent. But it's it's it. I feel like I shouldn't have found it as funny as I did, but I did, and I was I was replaying that that part of the trailer several times. It's I can never get enough of it. Um, I think just David Batista having that much happy energy yeah. <laughs> like gives me life yes it's it's fantastic and i i mean baby groot i mean yeah it's cute yeah like it like the part in the trailer where he's just like i am groot i am groot and like going to like kind of like uh like a child trying to get like like not understanding like at a command or trying to get around a command by just saying something cute. Like that's what it got to me when he was trying, when he was trying to push the button in the trailer. Um, like that, that just, that just won me over yeah. just in, in, uh, I can't wait. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. It could be complete garbage. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
So that does it for news for this week. And uh, really quickly, just another piece of housekeeping here. Here in a couple weeks, um, or in a few weeks, I think at this time, Tiny, I think we're still going to do this. You are going to be a guest on my solo side project podcast anthology, right? Totes. Going to do that? Good. Good. Tote bags. Yes. Nice. <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, uh, Anthology is my solo side project podcast uh, where I review the Twilight Zone. I'm going to have Tiny on to talk about a uh, an episode of of a TV show, uh, one of Serling's early works, essentially, Rod Serling. So we're going to have uh, fun doing that. And I thought it was Sterling. <laughs> oh, you... <laughs> You son of a bitch. I could not. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he is famous for the We're silver done. screen. I don't... Gotcha. Yeah, okay. there you go. Uh, so this week on the podcast... I'll just go. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we'll we'll promote that as it comes more. And check the Facebook page uh, for Anthology at in. Uh, facebook.com slash anthology pod anyway um this week on the podcast as i mentioned before we're going to be doing netflix picks and uh tiny how do you feel about the prospect of us doing netflix picks again (laughs) what do you think of this format of doing netflix picks because in the past we've we've done different formats this one is a new one in which i guess do you want to explain how we did it this time yeah this time it was different because basically we just traded phones and looked at each other's cues and we just picked something for the other one yes so that i think that was fun because i think at some point we will torture one another with it <laughs> like you'll make me watch glitter or something i don't know yes why would not glitter I, be on your list you know that's let's not get into those details matt <laughs> it ruins it ruins the uh the majesty of mm-hmm. so i got them no <laughs> um yeah We'll see. Yeah, I, I I agree. I like that. I like this method a lot more too. And I think going forward, we're, we will probably be doing it like this from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the past, we just did random numbers, and and those were fun. But I like that this has a little bit of a personal connection. Like you picked this movie for me to watch, so I think that we get some more, um, some some better conversation out of it rather than throwing in like okay here tiny watch this random documentary about dung beetles that you have on your queue for some <laughs> reason <laughs> i'd watch that <laughs> i'm sure you would <laughs> um so yeah so i like that we are ingesting a little bit or injecting a little bit of uh our personal our person our idea of each other's taste into picking this uh this uh this time around and i'm sure that anyone listening can take what i just said and edit it around to make it sound dirty um, <laughs> nice so i'm not necessarily challenging you guys but it's there <laughs> um, well let's get into this big old one. Oh god <laughs> yeah. i don't know i was trying to think of something <laughs> that was bad oh that was geez. really bad all right well hopefully you don't um like I picked a documentary for you and hopefully you don't shove that down my throat. Yeah. Um well, that's <laughs> this is this is uh anyway, um Oh boy. So tiny. Uh do you want to go first or should I? Uh I don't I can go first. Okay, uh go nuts. I picked for you to watch Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. And yeah. uh yeah, so I picked this for you. I think this, I think that we should start out with, by talking about why we picked it for each other. Yeah. Um, so I picked this for you because, A, 
I watched this at uh, Heartland a couple years ago or the the last year, and I I loved it. I adored it, and it was a really well put together documentary. And it's uh, it spoke to me and it resonated with me. And I know that you're a fan of documentaries, and we also had the parameter that we can't like it would have to be a movie that we would have to watch. So that made me scroll past Black Mirror really quick, um, and sadly because I really wanted to make you watch Black Mirror. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, the plot description for Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made, according to IMDb, is a documentary of the story behind Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adaptation, um, which was a document or a, a fan film made by a group of, of kids that was made incrementally throughout the years of their childhood, essentially. And uh, the documentary chronicles their attempt to film the final scene of their of their fan film as adults i think it was like what 30 years later yeah 30 years later yeah so tiny what did you think of raiders the story of the greatest fan film ever made i loved it Nice. i was pretty sure i was going to anyways um i heard so many people praise it up and down including you uh during heartland last year i was really bummed i didn't get to see it it, it was one of the first things that stuck out to me when i was looking through the uh, the booklet of available movies to see. And I really wanted to go see it. It just, it, timing just did not work out. Right. Um, so I was really bummed I didn't get to see it. But I'm so thrilled. Again, Netflix is so dedicated to uh, the documentary format. I, I was really hoping it would end up on Netflix, and sure enough, it did. Mm-hmm. It's been in my queue for a while. I've been meaning to watch it, and I'm glad you forced me to because it was so, so charming. Um, and And the movie is about you know, part of it's kind of telling the backstory about these kids shooting this movie uh, over like seven years. Um, part of it's that, and then part of it is just the obstacles involved with filming this final scene, which is technically the most challenging because mm-hmm. it involves a plane exploding um, and a big fight scene and all this stuff and pyrotechnics. And that's just, you know, you don't want a bunch of 16 year olds doing that. That's not a good idea. Right. Um, and it's expensive. So, it it goes through all of that, which I find really fascinating. You know, it takes them like two weeks to film this. And I think in, and even in the real film world, this, this scene probably took them a week to right. film like Steven Spielberg and, and, uh, Harrison Ford back in 1980, whatever filming this thing <laughs> was probably took them a week to do it. So it, that's kind of impressive when you think about it. Um, what's amazing is the, what they come up with, what they film is so good like it's <laughs> it is it is shot for shot like on the money of the original movie and it, it's like it's as they were showing it i was like this is just so fun to watch like i really 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 want to see their version of raiders like i would love to see it yeah um and the documentary gets into that it's uh, one of the featured uh, talking heads if you will is eli roth mm-hmm. uh who saw the movie you know, back in the day when someone just had a copy of it and they, they kind of go into the whole like underground videotape world where you would just kind of bump into somebody or, you know, talk to a friend at a video store and they'd hand you a VHS of this random movie that's a bunch of kids doing a shot for shot remake of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And you're like, that is retarded. Why do you have that? <laughs> and then you watch it and you can't stop laughing and you have a blast of a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned into the, turned into a thing, an underground thing. And that's a whole other charming part of the story and really fun part of the story. Um, and it also happens to be a very well-made documentary. I like, I like the way they, they intersperse the backstory with the challenges they're facing now, 30 years later from when they first started. I think they, they mesh those two things together really well. Um, 
these the the two main guys who do this uh, this fan film um, are really like I say they're really well rounded characters, but they they find a very uh, they find a way to to bring these guys to life, and you feel like you know these guys, and you completely understand and empathize with their passion. Um, the The two guys are uh, Chris Strom Strompolos, yeah, Strompolos, Chris Strompolos. That's probably really wrong. Uh, and Eric Zala. Uh, these are the two guys who are buddies who who filmed this thing. Um, and just the the evolution of their friendship throughout across thirty years is really fascinating. There's just, there's just so many really good and deep, like little stories amongst the big story. And, and I think that's what just makes it a really fun, really fun documentary. Um, I really loved it. And like I said, I, I wish they could find a way to distribute their, their fan film. But I, I mean, I'm sure there's pretty much no way to do it because of licensing rights and everything. Um, I'd love to see it. I, I think it'd be really fun. And, um, I just love the documentary. I love all, I love, I love the passion behind it and, and the, the drive that these kids had to film this thing. And 30 years later, they're literally sitting in some random rich guy's living room asking him for money <laughs> to cut him a check so they can build a, a World War II Nazi plane and blow it up. <laughs> like, that's just, that is the American dream. It is. Especially if you're a 10 year old boy. Yeah. Um, and the, the movie just captures that so well mm-hmm. it's a really uh page my fiance just kind of happened to walk in like 15 minutes and she's like what are you watching she sees <laughs> these kids like setting their their mom's basement on fire she's like what are you watching <laughs> and i told her and she sat down and watched it and she loved it nice um so i mean that's and she's not even a big movie person so that mm-hmm. i mean that she doesn't like documentaries that much either so that kind of <laughs> tells you how accessible it is right it's really great it's uh that could have been this is so dumb um <laughs> They could have been a really awkward moment where she's like, what are you watching? And then you're like, oh, I'm watching this documentary about this video, but with a bunch of kids in it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) These bunch bunch of kids being really violent. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's one of the things about the documentary that I really loved was that it intercut the present day struggles of of getting the financing to create this last shot um, or this last scene. It intercut that with with footage, not only footage of the of the fan film that they made as children, but it intercut it with uh, footage of behind the scenes from the filming of it. So, like yes. you said, when they're setting the house on fire, it's like it's so amazing because it's like these these are moments that are unbelievably tense. That would be like you watch that and you're like, how how like. It's a miracle these kids didn't kill themselves. Yes, it is. And they have like no supervision at all, but since it's it's since it's about the nostalgia of of the characters or the subjects and it's a, and it's set in the past like it takes away that tension and it replaces it with this really fun like kind of uh I hesitate to say voyeuristic, but this kind of like you're kind of a voyeur of their nostalgia. And they're and yeah. you're viewing their childhood in a very unique way, and there's a moment kind of late in the documentary where they talk about how um how they didn't realize it at the time and like and like this this sound bite this this like got me choked up in the theater when I saw it last year, but uh they're like we didn't realize it at the time, but we weren't filming we weren't making a fan film, we were filming our childhood, yeah, and I'm like that is incredible, like who has that experience that they have 
that they like any you know as kids you have like your your hobbies like you either go ride bikes somewhere or you you play a sport or you sit alone in your room watching movies all day um <laughs> like really uh obscure for your pe- obscure to your peers 50s japanese samurai movies but <laughs> that's neither here nor there but like you chronicle it like being able to like having a a chronicle of that in such a unique and artistic way is really fascinating and uh and i like the i like how they dive into some of the uh like what became of their dreams essentially in the lead up to getting the getting the band back together as it were um right i think that the way that that documentary is put together is really well in constructing that narrative essentially yeah yeah Agreed. So yeah, so yeah, I I liked it a lot too, and I'm really glad that you finally had an excuse to watch it. Yeah, me too. Um, and I remember that there was another documentary at Heartland last year that I was like, I was so so convinced that you would and and will love when you see it. And I just checked to see if it's on iTunes or not iTunes, but on Netflix. But it's it's not. But um, Peace Officer, like yeah. I still think you should check that. It's on iTunes, but um, oh, is it okay? Yeah, I think you can rent it. But man, it's so good. Good, so good. Um, I actually think it's on Hulu also. But you don't you don't subscribe to Hulu, do you? I do not. Hulu, do you? Um, I who not. Nice. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> so cool. So yeah, that's Raiders. This uh, the story of the greatest fan film ever made on. Uh, obsessiveviewer.com i'll put a link to the show notes in uh in this episode to my review of it but i rated it a 9.0 out of 10 oh nice yeah i'd probably give it a pretty much the same thing nice nice um yeah so so that um yeah so that's raiders it's on netflix and yeah i kind of i you know it's funny and this is a slight tangent kind of in interstitial kind of thing between the two things but like i realized when i was what was i I was doing something with the website and everything and i kind of realized that at like this entire year 2016 i did not write a single review for the website oh wow yeah and like it's it's mostly just you know bringing up bringing um anthology back online and uh new new job and everything it's like i don't have the time or <laughs> resources to to do that you're a cat father now i am a cat father also yeah um coolest superhero ever oh i know right <laughs> it's <laughs> like uh, i didn't know that i had it in me to be a hero until i got a cat <laughs> um that's ridiculous the hardest job yes on the planet it is, is. being a cat father <laughs> um, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and she got up and left because she <laughs> heard how ridiculous it was. It is perfect. It is. Anyway, um, uh, so yeah, uh, maybe that's something that I can try to rectify in 2017, but I I don't know if I'll have time to or not. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so 9 out of 10 for Raiders. That's great. Yep. And uh, Tiny, do you want to bring us into mine? Yes. Uh, the next movie that Matt watched is uh, Contact from 1997, uh, kind of a mixed bag in the sci-fi world. Uh, the synopsis, is that, wait, is that right? Synopsis. Synopsis, yeah. The synopsis uh, <laughs> for Contact uh, reads, 
Dr. Ellie Arroway, after years of searching, finds conclusive radio proof of intelligent aliens who send plans for a mysterious machine. Much better synopsis than <laughs> Raiders. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I watched this movie a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I, the first time I ever saw this, uh, my mom was like recovering from a surgery she had. Okay. And I was like early, I was like 13. 12, 13, maybe. Sure. Uh, and my mom, just, it was just on TV. Me and my mom just watched it. And I had not I had heard of it, but it just, I don't know. I never really saw it. And uh, it really kind of blew me away as as nice. a kid. And so that's that's kind of my connection to the movie. Um, I saw it as a, as a younger younger kid. So that's, that's kind of my first uh, exposure to it. And I think that's kind of why I have the opinion of it that I do. So, nice. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. Matt, what did you think <laughs> of Contact? Okay, and uh, and wh- why did you choose it for me specifically? Um, because I think it's uh, I think it's a sort of panned movie amongst mm-hmm. the sci-fi community. I think it gets a lot of crap, and it's really it's really kind of I wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure. I think it's just it's it's just a good sci-fi movie, and I like it. And I wish more people were not so critical of it. Nice. Um, you hated it, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hate it. Okay, and. It's yeah, I didn't I didn't hate it. Um I I didn't really love it per per se. Um I thought that it was it was pretty it was pretty good. There were some good ideas in it and uh it held my attention through most of it. Okay. Um let me see. Uh so the first thing that I'll say about it is that there's like you said in the description, the alien and an alien uh, communication comes to earth and Jodie Foster picks it up because she's, she does that um, for a living. She works for SETI. Uh, is that how you pronounce yep, it? SETI. SETI. Yeah. Um, so she's monitoring all these radio frequencies and stuff. And what I found most compelling about it, and this was this one specific scene was like a moment where I was like, this is really incredible is that when we get the first transmission, um, she, she recognizes it as prime numbers. It's math. It's a universal language and that's the way that they're communicating. And that's, that alone is pretty clever. And then the, and this stretches a little bit, um, I guess not really stretching that much, but, um, we get a video the the humans in the movie get a video transmission from the aliens. And Tiny, do you remember what this initial video was? I believe it was a speech from Hitler, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Which the reveal of that was really fascinating to me as a viewer because yeah. you see this kind of this very uh, static image and you like I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, are they gonna show us, you know, their them? Like are we gonna see the aliens? Yeah. And then like I'm kinda like, is that is that a swastika? Yeah. And then just just the idea that, um, and this is mild spoilers for contact, but it's not anything too um, severe. Um, as it slowly reveals itself to be a a speech from Hitler, it's it's fascinating to me because it is explained as this was. I think it was something like this was the first the first video signal or first like thing that was like aired or something like that. 
that was like transponded over the air or something like that? Something like that. Yeah, they they I, explained it in in a way that made sense in context of the movie. Um, but it was something that was like it was the first thing. It was him like announcing um, the start of the Olympic Games, right? And just the idea of that, and and this is something that. Um, I find fascinating is the idea of human reaction to, um, to alien communication or alien arrivals, um, um, arrivals, alien contact or alien arrival or alien signs or alien, um, close encounters, the third close kind. encounters, <laughs> um, just it, like the human reaction. And I think that, this movie has this very fascinating hook that this initial transmission, this initial video transmission from an alien race is Hitler, like the worst human being like in the 20th century. Um, and just the idea of that, of that, like that confusion of like, what could that possibly mean? Like what, what are the aliens possibly trying to communicate by sending a video of Hitler to us, like this is not a good icebreaker at all, because right. like that can be construed as, do they not understand the, like obviously they can't understand like what, um, what that imagery and what that figure was to humanity, or is it that they understand and they are completely observant of us and they're they're, like, um sending it to us as like a, a judgment or they're, they're making a statement about what they intend to do to the human race and things like that. But so like, there are a lot of different avenues that they could have, could have gone with and, and a lot of really good reactions that could have been born from this, from this initial contact in the movie contact. Um, unfortunately the movie doesn't really go anywhere with that. <laughs> like it's, it just presents it and then it explains it as, Oh yeah, it was like the first, it was like the first thing in the airwaves that so they just bounced it back to us. They don't know anything. They're stupid aliens. Um, <laughs> here's some schematics, make your little ship. Um, <laughs> and that I think was kind of a, kind of a letdown for the movie for me is that they didn't really go into the human aspect of it. Um, as much as I would have liked them to, it's more, the movie becomes more about um, Jodie Foster's character's personal evolution and in her um, grappling with with uh, um, faith and not having faith, and it's kind of like a lot of science fiction. It's it kind of deals with um, faith versus science, and it does that in a pretty unique way, if not kind of heavy-handed. Um, it eventually becomes somewhat spoiler alert, a surprise courtroom drama at the end, Yeah, which is one of my favorite, like sub, 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 sub categories. Um, the, uh, the movie that doesn't have anything court related. And then at the end, it's just, Hey, there's a courtroom scene. Um, I just, and I still think we should do a, a an episode about that, but I, I can't, I can't think of that many off the top of my head to yeah. justify it. So eventually we will, mm-hmm. but, um, so the movie kind of has some things going for it and where it leads is, is pretty interesting and, and thought provoking. Um, I had never seen this movie, but I had this idea in my head about what the ending was and I won't give it away. Um, what I won't give away what happens or anything, but I had a very specific memory of, um, funny enough, tiny, my mom watching the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of a common link, but I didn't watch it with her and she wasn't, um, you know, recovering from surgery or anything, mm-hmm. but she was watching the movie. And I remember, I remember seeing like the kind of climactic sequence with, um, Jodie Foster, 
um, finishing the work that was how to phrase that without spoiling it. The big moment at the end that the the big climax of the movie. Yeah, and I saw that, and I've kind of carried that image with me. Like anytime I think of contact, I think of those images, and I had a very specific. Uh, interpretation of that based on what I'd seen. And I was very surprised to see that that was not at all what I thought it was. (laughs) I thought it was something completely different than what, what it ended up being. And I'm speaking very vaguely about it, but I was pleasantly surprised that it was more, it was more science fiction um, focused than it was faith focused or um, religious focus or, or um, spiritual spirituality. It didn't have as spiritual. Uh, it didn't have spirituality at its center in that in the climax of the movie as I thought, as I assumed it had after seeing some scenes like ten, fifteen years ago. Um, so that had it going for it, and it it engaged me. A um, couple other things I'd say is that one special effects don't hold up that well Hmm. um i'm thinking in particular that scene that i uh, that i vaguely referenced and um also i was very surprised that robert zemeckis was the director for this movie yeah i kind of forgot about that yeah um i had no idea and you know this is a movie that's based on a carl sagan novel and it deals with some pretty um pretty hard science fiction Um, and it's, it's like, it's hard sci-fi. It's, it deals with some heavy themes and everything. And I think part of me thinks that Robert Zemeckis may not have been the best choice for director for this movie because he had, he brought to it this kind of almost Spielbergian type of, um, youthful optimism to the way that it was shot. It's the kind of this whimsical, like, energy to it like it's it's a it's it's not it's not very serious um i don't know if i'm really if i'm really articulating that that well but it's Hmm. yeah it's it's like kind of a an optimistic kind of style with the camera work and stuff and it's it's not this like grounded um heavy dramatic um, st- technique to it, like the camera kind of whips around a little bit, and the music kind of swells in some, in some kind of cheesy nostalgic moments where we have flashbacks with Jodie Foster as a kid, and it's very kind of cutesy and heartwarming. Um, the movie is presented more throughout the movie as as a heartwarming kind of kind of story than anything else, and that the closest description I, as I can have in the super vague and long winded review is that it's, it's Spielbergian. It, it's a Spielberg type of thing by way of Robert Zemeckis. Um, does that make any sense to at all, at all a little bit? And maybe okay. if I haven't seen the movie in years and maybe mm-hmm. if I saw it again, I would, I would, get a better sense of what you're trying to say <laughs> so everyone that hasn't seen it is yeah. just completely lost <laughs> right I, th- I think i know what you mean about the optimism though mm-hmm. and, and that like I, I get that um kind of like an et-ish kind of like yeah kind of like it's it's a sense of wonder to it and it i don't know it's just it didn't really mesh well with what i with what maybe it's more of my expectations than anything it didn't really match my expectations because i was thinking that this would be a um a grounded and and thought-provoking science fiction movie which at at times it is but it kind of has this spielberg-like quality to it i think yeah i I definitely know what you mean um there wasn't a lot of hardship 
throughout it. Not a lot right. of sacrifice. I mean, there's there's emotional, uh, some emotional pain throughout mm-hmm. it, and some some uh, heavy emotional things. But yeah, it's not like other science movies or space movies where uh, people die and like mm-hmm. really. I mean, there's some death, but it's not. It's right. I don't know. It's I I don't know how to articulate it either, but. I do. I think I do know what you're saying. Yeah, so. and the, I think Family Guy kind of ruined this movie for me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my one of my favorite actual uh, actually one of my favorite episodes of Family Guy is uh, the episode Three Kings, which is the uh, the episode where it's three different stories all based on Stephen King movies, essentially. Yeah. So one of them is uh, a parody of Misery. And in the parody, Stewie goes on this whole thing where um, he talks about how, like Brian is in the uh, is in the role uh, James Con role in in the in the episode, and Stewie is in the Kathy Bates role. So there's a moment in in well both Misery and and uh, the episode where um, Misery goes into this whole thing. It's like saying like, no, you need to write better. And it's, it's, and they use an example, like in the movie, it's serialized movies or when they, when she would go see serials as a kid. And in the show, it's like, okay, you remember the movie contact? And, uh, and I don't know if I really want to go into it because it's, it's kind of spoilery, but they talk about this big event in the movie that (laughs) is completely like, by all accounts, it should completely destroy the narrative of the movie because it is the destruction of of something and it's like nope we we had a whole other one some some other random person created a whole other one right so it's all good to go and that's how it is in the movie and that is so it was a bummer to me (laughs) really yeah and the um kind of to bring it also kind of back to Stephen King a little bit, even though he has no connection to contact, but the moment it's kind of a big inciting incident or it's a big, um, turn in the plot that something happens, something happens to derail the project that they're working on. And what I had a problem with was I was hoping that that would be more suspenseful or more interesting. Like we get the idea that something is wrong in the lead up to it, but I don't feel like, like when I say in the lead up to it, I mean like the the 90 to 120 seconds before the event in the movie. Like it didn't really build up that tension or that, that, uh, that action too well throughout the whole movie. Do you remember what I'm, what, what happened? Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. It, okay. it is a plot hole kind of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like they, they make the effort to emphasize the, uh, all the effort and all of the resources mm-hmm. that go into this thing and how it's like unheard of in scale, like in the history of mankind. And then some dude just does it by himself later on. Like, I know what you're saying. And like, I, I get that. But for, for me, it doesn't ruin the movie or it doesn't, uh, it doesn't have that big of a negative effect on, on me when I'm watching it anyways. Sure. But I do get that it is a plot hole. <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's uh there there are some other plot holes throughout the movie as well but uh yeah it's it still works for me. Sure. Yeah. Um it just it was a fault for me. Okay. Um there was there was an interesting uh bit of um special effects in this movie. Um <laughs> I actually found this article 
on it's like uh deseretnews.com um but it was published july 20th 1997 okay um it's the uh uh, the title of it is Clinton in Contact is Amusing Despite What White House Says. Um, <laughs> do you remember what they did in this movie? Yeah. Yeah, they they cut together, like they cut um, speeches from President Clinton and inserted him into the movie. Yeah. Um, in kind of a Forrest Gump kind of way. Right. Um, also by Robert Zemeckis. And yeah. it's... Uh, it is so it's so funny because like today we have the technology where we can make um like Robert Downey Jr and Captain America Civil War even though I didn't think that that the technology to age him down to show him inserting inserting a young version of himself in it I don't think I didn't think that was 100% great I think it was a little uncanny valley but like like inserting things into into movies today is like that's something that's we maybe take for granted a little bit because yeah. the technology's there. Um, even even though the one sort of example doesn't fit, but also like um, Michael Douglas and Ant Man, right? So um, <laughs> this having it in 1997, it doesn't really hold up that well. It kind of sticks out, kind of bad. It does. Yeah, and it's it's unique in that I was watching, I was like. I I like what they were doing. Like there were there are shots of um Clinton speaking on television and those work pretty well. And it's funny the way that they I don't think they necessarily cut around speeches, but they used like bits from speeches that could be repurposed to fit the context of the movie. So like he's speaking very vaguely like this is a threat to humanity and and he's like saying like very vague things. So um, but in context of the movie, it, it makes sense. And, um, it's really, it's really pretty interesting. Um, in that, that alone is fine. Like, like having it on t- television is fine, but there are scenes where like, um, Jodie Foster and a bunch of people are in like a boardroom and then Clinton comes into the room and it's really awkward and it took me out of the movie a little bit. Hmm. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to find a soundbite from this, from this, uh, article. So bear with me here for a second. Um, like the justification for it. Like here's a, here's a quick, um, quote from it. Steve Starkey, a co-producer of contact told the Los Angeles times that presidential speeches are in the public domain. We didn't alter a word. He said, uh, we we just digitally replaced the setting. We took him from the rose garden to the press room, and and that's that's interesting. I mean, that's that's interesting that they did that at that time. Um, apparently, the White House wasn't um, <laughs> wasn't amused, and I kind of like this idea of like, and this is not a political statement. I'm just speaking as in terms of um, of uh, of just history. <laughs> But it's funny that like okay yes using a using a the video of a sitting president in your film and repurposing his words for it I can I can see and I might cut this out I can see how this is uh I can see how this could be shown as like maybe tarnishing the 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 name of like the the presidency but I think it's kind of funny that it's it's Clinton Yeah <laughs> um, but that's yeah true. that's true Yeah that 
I don't know. That's not meant to be political or anything. It's just I thought it was funny that apparently the White House had an issue with them using his image in this. And I would imagine that the reason for that issue is that there was, you know, there's a dignity to the office of the president. Right. And given what happened in his presidency, I thought it was funny. That is not funny. a political statement, just a commentary on the humor of it. But right. um, so, yeah, so contact overall. Um, I didn't, I didn't love it. It's, it's not, it's like, and I'm, I'm a pretty harsh critic when it comes to science fiction and I have kind of come to the realization that I, like I started my, you know, my movie watching habits around like horror movies and stuff. But I think now in the past, maybe, well, really since lost, honestly, um, I've gotten more like with each passing year, I've gotten more and more into science fiction. And I think that that may be why I'm a little harsher on the science fiction genre, which is something we'll talk about in a bonus episode coming up uh, pretty soon. But I, I'm just, I view it through a, a more um, intensive lens. Like I, I pick it apart a little bit more than other genres. And maybe that's not fair to the vast majority of movies I watch, but I kind of hold them to a higher standard because I feel like the science fiction genre is more, not more important than other genres, but it's, it's more important in delivering a message about where we are as a society, essentially. Um, maybe not more important, but I find that message to be of more, that's essentially the exact same thing I just said that it wasn't to be of more import than, than other genres. Um, but I latch on to that message a lot more in science fiction than any other genre if they make statements about humanity and contact while it did have some interesting themes playing around with it and it did, um, explore those, explore those themes in somewhat heavy handed, but still, still pretty okay ways. It didn't really engage me that much. So I would, I would say that it was, I didn't, I don't regret, regret watching it, but, um, I, I don't know when I'll ever watch it again. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I think uh, the themes you're referencing just worked for me, uh, mm-hmm. especially like I think, again, seeing it as a 12 or 13 year old, it's very, the, the flaws and everything involved in the movie didn't stick out to me as much. Um, seeing it as an adult, they did. But uh, I think my, uh, you know, my first reaction to it or my, you know, the childlike wonder, I guess, mm-hmm. it, it sticks with me. It's almost nostalgic, I guess. So I think that's why I have that opinion of it. Um, and I love Carl Sagan. I feel like it has a lot of the hmm. the themes and a lot of the yeah. ideas uh, that he championed as a scientist uh, in, in the 20th century. I think he was, um, I think he was integral. He was integral to the, the, the place that science has um, in nowadays. Today, um, and the so conversation not, of right. humanity. I yeah, guess. it's 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 place in amongst the zeitgeist, if you will. Uh, I think he's partially responsible for that. So I'm a big Sagan fan, and I think this mm-hmm. this movie uses a lot of his words and ideas to to really good effect. Um, and I, I, it's just it was very inspirational to me, and it still is. So yeah, that's why I, I still like Contact. Nice. I uh, I appreciate that, and uh, it's funny we men- we referenced my cat earlier. Um, if I keep that in, um, <laughs> it's funny. This is for no one, for no one. But, um, when I, when I adopted my cat last year, actually almost exactly a year ago, 
Um, <laughs> um, uh, the organization that they had the adoption event at was um, at a bookstore uh, here in Indianapolis. And they had like some weird thing where it's like, okay, well, it's like a used bookstore. It's like, hey, you know, if you adopt a cat, you know, get a free book too. Um, <laughs> out of these like certain ones in the book that I got was Contact. Nice. And I haven't read it yet. So oh, that was ultimately meaningless. But um, <laughs> I feel like, you know, that's worth mentioning, I guess. I'll shut up now. Um <laughs> So yeah, that's our Netflix picks this this uh go around of it. Cool. Um so as usual, we're gonna round out the podcast with um our potpourri section, which we call it potpourri because it's uh the section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want, um anything we're watching, anything we're looking forward to. Um the catchphrase of it is anything we want as long as it smells good. And uh Tiny, you have a one thing two things a trailer and one thing i have two but they're super short okay do you want to start out with one and then i'll put mine in between us okay sure in between you (laughs) i don't know again edit the audio around that (laughs) (laughs) sure uh the first thing i wanted to mention this is brief and it's silly um if i i I am unabashedly a big fan of christmas uh which is weird (laughs) On many levels, but uh, I I love Christmas and I like cheesy Christmas movies and I shows. Think that's that weird though. Really? Yeah. Well, like, given my uh, my opinions on Christianity, it's funny. That's true. That is true. <laughs> that's funny. But the and, spirit of Christmas. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I like commercial Christmas. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so like I'm a sucker for. you know special episodes of television shows and whatnot and even just tv specials uh which there was one that i watched this year that came out on abc family um they've done it before uh it was it was filmed at uh the opry in nashville which is a historic stage uh some of the biggest stars in the world have played there uh it's one of the more famous stages in the world and it was a really good setting for this but it was a cma country christmas which is a bit of a misnomer because there were not just country stars there. And Okay. Yeah. But it was hosted by uh Jennifer Nettles, who's a she's a lead singer of a band called Sugarland and they're a, a country uh country band and she's done this a couple years now. I think she's she's hosted the CMAs and she's hosted this Christmas special like four or five times over the past six or seven years, something like okay. that. Um Is but it, it like was, a live like a variety show thing? Uh, yeah, it was like musical performances and stuff. Okay. Um, yeah, but like I said, they did, it wasn't just country artists. They had like Kelly Clarkson there and Sarah McLaughlin and Amy Grant and Adina Menzel or Adele Dazeem. Um, <laughs> but then they had country artists like Jennifer Nettles and um, Kelsey Ballerini, Brett Eldridge and stuff like that. But it was it was just really fun. I'm just like a sucker for that kind of stuff. And they had like fun renditions of your regular classic Christmas Christmas songs and stuff like that. Um, there were some really good ones. Linking it to TV and movies, uh, the winner of The Voice was on there. Um, I had never... I <laughs> That's a loose link there, Tiny. It is. It's a television <laughs> show, though. It's the winner of a television show. Sure. So I don't watch The Voice. It's not really my mm-hmm. thing, but he was freaking awesome. Jordan Smith was his name. He did a really good really good rendition of the, uh, the Mr. Grinch song. Oh, okay. It was really good. So, yeah, it was fun. It's really cheesy. It's on demand if you have... Uh, on demand for the with your cable uh that's how i watched it um again it's 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 cheesy and like you can absolutely make fun of me and i will not (laughs) i will not try to defend it um but it's it's fun i just i get really 
sappy this time of year. And and that's fair. That's totally fair. Yeah. I would never begrudge you your your uh, Christmas fandom. Um, and I'm the same way. I love the Christmas season. Like, there's something about it. Like the 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 way that Christmas is represented, like you said, the commercial the commercial aspect of Christmas, mm-hmm. like it's something that I get like it's deep in my like nostalgia. Like I, I get nostalgic for that um, for a time in my life when when um, whenever this time of year comes around, and it's it's special to me. I like it. Um, which is what's interesting to me about this is like I didn't like you just said like oh yeah I watched a Christmas thing so I'm sitting here thinking like okay it's some made for TV like mm-hmm. like narrative movie. That's and I did not. I didn't. That surprised me. That CMA Country Christmas. Yeah, that's sure. And it's it's funny because and we don't have to spend too much time on this because it's not relevant that much. But like when you were saying all of those names and stuff, like I'm I'm not into music that much. Like yeah. I I don't discover new music. I find music that I hear in movies and TV, and that's how I discover my my yeah. music. Um. Like real, like I have the Moana soundtrack, and uh, and uh, the most recent things that I've added to my Amazon Music app. That's the, how I use like the digital music and stuff. Um, was the score from or the the music, the instrumental music that's played in the Passengers trailer. Okay. Um, so yeah, but anyway, uh, that's a long-winded way of saying like, are you normally like a country music fan? Yeah. Um, and again, I don't defend it cause country kind of sucks. I mean, there's, a, it's, it's pop music with the South injected into it. That's what country music has mostly become. I appreciate more of the singer songwriter era of country, okay. like Johnny Cash and Marty Robbins and mm. some of the older guys. Um, I prefer that more and I, I think that's good music, I think, but like, it's basically the way I listen to country now is just, it's like, it's easy. It's just easy to listen to. I don't have to have be invested in it at all. I just put it on in the car and listen to it in the radio on the way to work and, and yeah, not like and anthology. Or memorize anything. all the yeah. words and know all the songs. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. Everyone that's, has their own taste, and we're not right. a music podcast, and I'm not a music person, so I'm you know whatever. Right. But it's just interesting to me. Like, have you ever seen um, Bo Burnham's country music? Yes, thing? it's hysterical. That is so perfect it's so accurate too it's it's beautiful it's so i'll put a link to it in the show notes it's essentially (laughs) bo burnham is it's part of his uh one of his stand-up stand-up specials and he's doing i think it's the most recent one make happy um that was on netflix and he's doing like a rendition of like his um he's basically breaking down the components of a of a hit country music pop song and he's breaking it down beat by beat and it's like it is masterful. Like, it is. This dude is a freaking genius. It's called pandering, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's exactly what country music is. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so great. So great. I'll put the link in the show notes, like I said. Uh, but that's interesting. CMA Country Christmas. That's cool. Check it yeah. out on demand, I guess. Um, there were sh- some hot chicks in it. Well, there you go. I can defend yeah. it. Yeah, that Kelsey Ballerini chick is really hot. Yeah. She is. Drinking, drinking beer and... Driving my truck, I don't know. Shooting That's... guns and yeah, small town. Yeah, that's in like every single country song. Small exactly. Town. It's yeah, pandering. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I I actually weirdly don't ask why I went down this rabbit hole. Um, I 
searched on Facebook for other Matt Hertz. Um, <laughs> and one of them is this guy that's like the most country looking guy ever. Really? Like he's in like a cutoff shirt. He's got, he's got a rifle in his hand. Wow. A beer in his other hand or something. It's like, I'm like, oh my God, this is the farthest from, <laughs> I almost said from real Matt Hertz. He's the antithesis <laughs> of Matthew William Hertz. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's funny. But yeah, so I made my list. I'm going to take them all out one by one. So wow. one last one. That is dark. <laughs> that um, is dark, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, should I go ahead and go with my potpourri? Absolutely. Staying on like a, a not not similar. Well, I guess this is a... Anyway, uh, This I can't transition to this. So I went to the movie theater and I saw the latest Disney animated film, Moana. Nice. Yes. And this movie is very interesting to me because I went in with little to no expectations, really. Um, the trailers didn't really do much for me. Um, I remember seeing trailers for it and just showing that's like, uh, it's a Dwayne Johnson's character just introducing himself on, on screen in the trailer saying like, I'm, I'm Maui, the demigod and, and I do this and that. And I'm just like, okay, this is, this is not, this is, I might catch it if it's on Netflix or something. Yeah. But I heard some hype around it when it really, when it was released and I was like, you know what? I should check this out. So I went and saw it and (laughs) it's, it's going to make my top 10. Nice. Maybe I can't commit to top three, but it's, it's, I think it's going to make my list. Nice. Um, this movie was so much fun and not only was it fun, first of all, with these Disney Disney movies, past and present, I never get hung up on the music. It's it's kind of funny. This is kind of an interesting interesting connection to to what we were talking about with the CMA Country Christmas thing. But I'm just I'm just not a musical minded person. Mm-hmm. Um, I I appreciate scores and movies. That's how I that's how I experience music. But when you have a Disney movie that has has musical acts or musical breaks like it's it's a musical it's like a traditional disney movie um with musical breaks i was so enthralled by the music in this movie um it was so good there is one there's one song to kind of get a sense of what like how the music is well not really get a sense but there's one song with uh with dwayne johnson it's called you're welcome and it's it's him basically um it's his character he's this demigod who's who's has a very inflated opinion of himself just telling the telling the main character you're welcome for everything that he does <laughs> it's like the most condescending and hilarious thing it's and all the music is super catchy and i know that a big part of the music was done by um uh, lynn manuel Oh, hang on, uh, the guy who who did the music for Hamilton, uh, the Broadway oh, okay. musical, and I mean I haven't I haven't heard the cast recording for Hamilton. I've heard really great things about it, um, but I've like I said I've heard I've heard really great things about it. And I know that it's you know really well respected, and I didn't know what to expect going into this. But uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, but Mark Mancina and uh, Opatea Fawai. Um, did the music for Moana, Moana, but, um, anyway, anyway, um, the music is fantastic. Like I saw this like maybe a couple weeks ago, I think. 
and I like the music is still stuck in my head. Nice. And there's a great song uh, by uh, with with uh, Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords that's so great. Like the ah uh, it the music is great. I'll, I'll stop louding praise upon the music and talk about the actual plot. The plot description, according to IMDb, is. In ancient Polynesia, when a terrible curse incurred by Maui reaches an impetuous chieftain's daughter's island, she answers the ocean's call to seek out the demigod to set things right. So this movie takes the kind of tropish Disney princess archetype, and I feel like in a way it upgrades it to 2016. Okay. Like... This isn't a damsel in distress. Um, Moana isn't this, isn't this um, helpless girl who learns to become a woman in in some con- contrived way. Um, she is a very self self um, um, self sufficient, uh, assertive, adventure seeking character, and uh, like I was very conscious of this watching it. That there are moments where she is she's in danger, like very real danger. And it's like the movie makes an effort not to have her be rescued by someone. It's always her own ingenuity and innovate or in a, um, her quick thinking to get her out of these situations. And it's thrilling. It's really incredible or it's really engaging and suspenseful to see a character that's not saved by a deus ex machina at the end of each, each action beat or each big set piece. It's like she's using, like it's a clever thing. And it's, it's sad that I'm singling, singling out that she's a female character who is, who's rescuing herself from danger. Um, so much. It's kind of sad that I'm bringing that up in 2016, but it's really impressive the way that it's handled and it's handled in a way that's so, um, just, just so organic and, and it feels so right for, for the time that we're in the climate of we are in society. Like we're at a point where it's like, you know, this movie, um, depicts a strong female character at the center of it. And, um, it's also, it's about, uh, Polynesian lore and, and history. And, and it's not something like, it's not like a, uh, let's see. It's, it's not like a, a whitewashed thing. It's like, it's, it's culturally respectful, I guess. I don't know. I think there are some, uh, there is some, a little bit of controversy surrounding like, um, the way that they interpreted some of the lore and up and like created it for like a Disney uh, thing. But I mean, that kind of comes with the territory. They I do guess. that with every movie. Yeah. But <laughs> anyway, it, it, all of this is to say I'm putting my foot in my mouth, but all of this is to say that this movie was such a joy to watch. It was a lot of fun. There are elements of it that, um, to kind of go back to the whole princess trope thing, they actually like, they make a little bit of a conscious reference to it. Um, to like the, the thing that they're like the history of that, of that type of character. And it's, it's really, it's really cheeky and fun, but it also kind of really pinpoints how, um, progressive the movie is, um, in its storytelling of this character and this character archetype really. Um, and yeah, the adventure of it is so much fun. The, uh, the chieftain's daughter, Mo- Moana, um, her, her people are isolated on this island and they are essentially, um, they don't seek out 
they don't go into the ocean or they don't they don't explore or anything and the whole impetus of the story is that moana is this character who is so drawn to the ocean and drawn to exp- exploration and stuff but she's hel- held back by her um her people's ways or her what though her people's way of life so she's going out on this adventure having never gone out in the ocean it's really thrilling the way that it's all it's all handled and everything um and yeah and it it gets to a really satisfying place and i i it's it's a really incredible movie i really i really implore everyone to go check it out um because it's it's really it's really great this is the type of the type of disney animated movie that seems like it's something that I would hope or think would be talked about for a while. Um, yeah. So that's Moana. It's currently in theaters and you can hear it in my earbuds while I'm (laughs) doing things because I've (laughs) been listening to the soundtrack over and over. Awesome. I'm really glad to hear that. I'm, I'm excited to see it and eager to see it. Um, there's a guy I work with, he and his wife, uh, are from Hawaii Oh, nice. And like grew up there and like they have three kids that have never been to Hawaii because they moved to Indiana. Um, and it's really expensive to go to Hawaii. Right. Uh, so they've never been there. And so like it's hard for them to like demonstrate what their Hawaiian culture is like. And you know, it's, it's part of these kids heritage and it's hard for them to, uh, express that without being in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And so they were super excited for this movie and they went to nice. see it like opening night with all their kids and, uh, he really loved it. And like, I was, nice. that was kind of my in for it. Cause he mm-hmm. talked about it in, in a really passionate way. And so I really want to see it too. And I'm glad nice. that, you know, we don't really have a lot of movies about Hawaiian or Polynesian culture. So right. it is, it should be a unique thing just, just because of that. So yeah, absolutely. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, check it out. Awesome. And so, Tiny, you have one more thing. Uh, yeah, again, this is brief. Uh, but last week, uh, being last week of November, um, the trailer for Martin Scorsese's latest project came out. It's a movie called Silence. Uh, the plot description on, I- on IMDb says, In the 17th century, two Jesuit priests face violence and persecution when they travel to Japan to locate their mentor and propagate Christianity. Uh, this is a project that Martin Scorsese has been interested in for like 30 years, literally. Um, I think he's tried to get it made. He's had it cast. He's had a script for a while. He had it casted for a while. I mean, it's, it's been in kind of production hell to reference our, uh, our uh, panel topic at Starbase Indy. Um, mm-hmm. it's kind of been in production hell for a while and it's, it's finally coming out. Um, and it's, it's a pretty, pretty big passion project for Martin Scorsese. It'll be the, the third time that he really tackles religion as a subject. And I think he's done it to, to great effect in the past. Um, the, uh, he did last temptation of Christ. Uh, and what was his other one? What uh, was the other one? K- uh, Kundun, I think that one. Oh yeah. Kundun in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that was a, I, I only passingly saw that. Yeah. I, I never saw, uh, never saw it. I'm looking at the trivia though. <laughs> Right. Martin Scorsese's third religion-based film after Last Temptation of Christ and Kundun. Right. So I, I think Last Temptation of Christ was really cool, and I know that Martin Scorsese's religion is very important to him, and I think mm-hmm. it it affects him in some pretty deep ways. And he's been making, you know, good movies over the past several years, but uh, this seems like something he's really passionate about. Nice. And, and I think he's on the money when he's 
when he's making movies like that. Like Wolf of Wall Street, I wasn't that crazy about. Right, me neither. And Shutter Island was, while a pretty impressive movie and kind of cool looking and a fun period piece, was was just an okay movie in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, but this seems like a passion project he's been going after for decades. Uh, so I, I think it it could end up being one of his best, maybe one of the year's best. So I'm really looking forward to it. Check out the the trailer on YouTube. Um, it's very, it's kind of almost eerie and mm-hmm. it looks very, uh, grungy and gritty and, and, you know, it, it looked like a grueling movie to make. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing this movie. Yeah. And I watched the trailer too. And, um, something that, something that stood out to me and it's something that's, uh, kind of corroborated by this piece of trivia that i just read but adam driver lost 50 pounds for the role yeah uh 30 pounds before filming and 20 pounds during filming and this is more and this is more just a a comment on just the trailer but like it's it's kind of off-putting to see him in this trailer yeah it is um like it looks like he's like he's like grotesque yeah grotesque really Yeah. yeah Um, but it looks like it's a really going to be a really interesting movie, and um, I'll uh, definitely check it out. And um, yeah, uh, Daniel Day Lewis was originally cast right um, in the movie, and it's uh, that's a, that's a shame. But I mean, Liam Neeson's really good. So. Yeah, he's a good get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, hopefully we'll be pretty taken with this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh man. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um Kylo Ren. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, that'll about do it for this week's episode of the Obsessive Viewer. Um let's see here. Uh okay, if you like what you hear or like what you've heard and you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that, guys, is to go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Um it helps us out a ton. It gives us good feedback. Um, it's really great to see. I don't check it that often, but I would love to like open up iTunes and be like, oh, hey, we got some reviews. So go ahead and flood iTunes with your reviews. Create fake usernames. Put in the reviews. I don't care. <laughs> uh, the more ratings and reviews that we get, the more visible we are and, and the better it is for people to find find us. Because if you just type in, you know, movie podcast and they see like our thing and they see, oh, we have this many reviews or this many stars. It's like, you know, the more reviews we get, the more substantiate, uh, the more substantial we are to people passing by in the store. Cool. Um, yeah. And if you want to support the podcast with your wallet, it is the holiday season, guys. Just, just saying, um, <laughs> you can do that by clicking the donate button on obsessiveviewer.com uh, for a one-time donation, or you can click the donate link in the show notes of this episode. And you can also become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for recurring payments uh, using for different reward tiers um, for different levels. So anyway, any donations made, they'll help us out a ton with paying the fees to keep the podcast running. Uh, cause it's, it's not really free. It's free to you guys, but on our end, we, we have to pay for, to keep it up and keep the RSS feed, um, up and running. Um, but anything that's paid to us goes directly toward that and, uh, helps us provide you with some hopefully entertaining podcasting. um, Going on 200 episodes. That is insane. That's wild. That is insane. Yeah. Um, and next week, I think we may take a break from a regular episode, um, like a full on, 
uh, full-on episode, but I think we're going to try to squeeze in a bonus episode reviewing Westworld, uh, HBO's uh, season of television um, <laughs> by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, um, based on the Westworld 1973 movie. Um, just completed its first season. The uh, Westworld FM podcast has been kind of sponsoring our episodes lately. You've heard the plug for it at the beginning. I highly recommend checking out that podcast and uh, coming back and checking out our uh, bonus review next week. And having said all that, Tiny, is there anything, any other thing that we need to discuss or should we call it a night? I think we should call it a night. All right. Well, in that case, uh, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks. But yeah, so so what did you think of Raiders? <laughs> I also loved it. Okay. Oh fuck. I'm so sorry. Should we read the plot descriptions first? Oh sure. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Um okay, sorry. Um hang on, let me bring that up here. So sorry, so sorry, so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. And so the pl- <laughs> the plot descriptions are fucking It's sentence. horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I interrupted you for nothing. (laughs) Um, Okay, hang on. And uh, so, yeah, the plot description. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Obsessive Viewer and follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer, at Obsessive Tiny, and at I am Mike White. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.